Podcast. And as usual, this is DM Mike along with DM Liz. Hello. DM Jim. Well, Bubble, I'll do the thinning around here and don't you forget it. Sorry, that was the 60s, not the 80s. Ditto. And DM Glenn. Shh, I'm listening to my pet rock. Was that, yeah, I guess it was late 70s, early 80s, so, yeah, mm-hmm. that crossover. Yeah, well, my, my mood ring went off, too, excuse me. Oh. <laughs> I'm listening to my Rubik's Cube. Uh. I'm watering my Chia Pet. Ooh. I was married in the 80s. I didn't get to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> ow, ow. Because girls just want to have fun. It's true. Yeah. True story. Yeah. Oh, this so, episode. Episode, we are going to be covering another small niche games product. Yes. Chronicles of Amherth. And this is the important one. Well, I'm sure Peter Spawn thinks they're all important, but. <laughs> oh, I know, but. This is different in that, yeah, this is the setting where apparently most of his modules and a few modules from other companies are located. That's right. I have to so be perfectly it, honest with you. I, when this uh, show notes for this came up, I'm just like ah, something else I haven't read and don't want to. And then I read it. Oh my god, this is good. Yeah, I am more. I mean, I'm really becoming a fanboy of them. I mean, they, they put they put out some really good stuff. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a huge other people's campaign person, but if I had to run somebody else's campaign, this is the kind I would like to. But we'll talk about it more once we. Get into okay. the nitty gritty. First, what have we been doing in gaming this week? Liz. You always say that through gritted teeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, our usual second edition game we finally have been able to get back to because this has been the first weekend that Mike and I have not been going off to Tyler to do stuff. So our gaming group finally got to see us again. So, so was it as awesome as you remember it? Oh, it was totally awesome. <laughs> my, actually, yeah. it was. My cleric had a small, small chance to successfully abjure a Zorn Earth Elemental. Back Elder to its, 15 hit die Zorn. Yeah, back to its um, plane of existence and the... DM had told me, it's like, okay, you will be able to successfully do this on a roll of a 19 or 20. And I rolled a 20, and I was like, ah! <laughs> that is so hot. That, that, was my, nice. that was my big moment in the game nice. yesterday. Yeah, it was, it was like, high-fiving. Yeah. So, yeah, it was totally awesome. 
Except for the two hours we had to spend equipping our ship. Oh my gosh. Yeah. On the other hand, it did need to be done. It Every probably, single block and tackle it, and rope and... I, I, probably, just have, I have this picture of you at, at the docks with crates of stuff going, okay, I don't have a proficiency in this. We ain't taking it. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, there was close to that. In the middle of the game, I turned to my GM and goes, hey, Chase, you know what I realized? My character does not have survival forgotten realms. <laughs> my character's dead, right? In fact, I think we're all dead, aren't we? Oh, boy. And, and then, oddly said, enough, he said, shut up, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Funny enough. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> I don't like non-weapon proficiencies. I this don't is blame not me. a secret. This, <laughs> <laughs> well, now, the last time we didn't go into utter detail of every single thing for our ship, we wandered off in the ocean without a sextant. Oh, God. And end up wandering around for days till we hit a random island. Now, every single time, we say, do we have a sextant? We got four. Okay. <laughs> Actually, we have two now. Yes. Our- three longboats. <laughs> we have our- One we keep in a magical stored pocket dimension just in case we need it. And two trained train dolphins in case we flounder. I love this game. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, but that's a good idea, Glenn. We maybe we should do that. Yeah, let's put that on my to-do list. Yeah. Train dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> so, anything else, Liz? Um, that and the play-by-post game that I'm a part of, and once again, I've barely been active on it this past week, and this reminds me I need to go sign on and see if there's anything I need to do there. <laughs> Right after the episode. Yes. Okay. Jim? Man, I can't think of any better old school cred than being in a play-by-post campaign. Well, if you want, I'll see if I can get you in. Well, mm, let's talk about that. All right. (laughs) (laughs) See if I could fit it into my light schedule. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you have nothing to do. Um, yeah, we just, I really like the DM, but I just can't get into play-by-posts. I don't know what it is, but I just – I fade out. I can't keep interested. Well, I just I, – my, my primary interest would be it's something I've never done before, like uh, playing a cleric in Shannon's game. I've never played a cleric before, so it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, we played last night uh, and uh, in the – little campaign setting I'm writing, and I have never been more proud of my little group of mutant murder hobos in my life. <laughs> mutant murder hobos. They, uh, this, it, this needs to be a new webcomic. <laughs> oh, murdering yeah. hobos. Like all Cobalt 60 it up. I wish I could draw that well. Um, <laughs> no, dude, they, I mean, it, it's taken about three sessions, but they just did it by the numbers. They got, they played smart. They played really cautious. Uh, maybe even a little too cautious, cause, but, cause I was poking them at some point. They, uh, they stayed inside their character alignments and I gave them two golden opportunities to, uh, to not do so. And, uh, it was just fun. And, uh, I gave them the, uh, access to the Gamma World equivalent of a deck of many things. Which in uh, my universe is a broken gene resequencer. (laughs) 
Oh, oh my gosh. So one of the pure strain humans is now a mushroom man after a short trip as a chicken who smelled of curry. But other than that, I mean, they 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 uh, they got all the way to uh, – they leveled up and uh, nobody died. And uh, I'm taking crap for being a softy GM on Facebook. So good job, guys. <laughs> That's okay. I'm sure they'll die quickly enough on their own. Yeah, that mushroom man sounds pretty tasty. Especially with chicken with curry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Glenn, if you oh, had any time to game at all. I have. A little. A little. Uh, oh, I'm now listening to his Gamma World game. I'm tempted to take after the bomb and put it with Gamma World so they're all mutant animals and plants. Um, that would be fun. Anyway, um, let's see. I bought some stuff. Uh, got some palladium stuff. I'm digging a little deeper into palladium just to see how it ticks. Mm. Uh, but don't ask me about Rifts or Robotech. I won't go there. Mm. Um, but I tur- got, turtles, uh, right, dude? Yeah, I got turtles. I got Beyond the Supernatural and the palladium role-playing game. Plus a few, like, I got After the Bomb and Mutants at Avalon and all this other stuff. Or, yeah. But, uh yeah, I just want to dig around, see what it looks like. I also got Margaret Weiss's Marvel Heroic Role Playing, just to see what this doggone Cortex thing is all about. Mm. Uh, I read it, and I'm going, what? <laughs> it, <laughs> uh, it, it's very reminiscent of White Wolf to me, anyway. And I read it, and I kind of understand what they were getting at, but it seemed really like too much stuff in there and i talked to somebody on facebook he says well the, see, because there are rabid fans of this game and they're going well the problem is it reads like crap but it plays great it's very so, popular where uh, we game out of gateway games yeah hmm. so i guess you'd have to just get it up on its feet and run it with some people just to actually see what the hell's going on with it Oh, I also got a supplement. Uh, this is talk about a, an OSR variant, Weird Adventures by Trey Causey. Um, I recommend that highly. He does a blog called From the Sorcerer's Sorcerer's Skull, and this is 1930s in a place like Earth with fantasy elements in it. Mm-hmm. So it's pulp noir. Um, uh, Indiana Jones, they give you a city. It's mostly in the city. I told him you needed more information about the rest of the world, dude. I mean, when I think of this kind of stuff, I think of like, you know, Indiana Jones or, you know, that kind of their jungle gym or whatever going around the world. And he says, yeah, but so you go like a film noir thing, but it's got like, I love the monsters in there. They have hillbilly giant, hill giant, not hill giants, hillbilly giants. <laughs> uh, and not hobgoblins, hobo goblins. Nice. And just little things like that that just get under your skin. And there's so many plot hooks and adventure ideas in there, your brain will explode for this kind of thing. He just, it was, it's like, it was like reading a Volo's Guide. It um, was. Okay. I've never read a Volo's Guide, but well, I'll take a word on it. All right. It was like reading a, a really good supplement. Say, like reading a Gazetteer. Okay. Where you're just getting all these ideas in your head. Like. Because they keep throwing. Like what like, we're reviewing in the show today. It's just like right, you're saying. Right, right. Okay, that's the money I've spent today. But I, my, I had my Saturday game. And doggone it, son of a gun, we were bushwhacked. Um, Your gnome we, didn't die again, did he? No, he didn't die, but we got captured by a whole big, like, troop of orcs. And 
<laughs> we got knocked out and we ended up in a cell without our stuff. And I said, boy, this is like deja vu. <laughs> we started know- a campaign breaking out of Zanzer Tam's dungeon. <laughs> I know you were saying troop as an OOP, but when you said it that way, my first thought was OUP. <laughs> I had this mental image of a bunch of orcs on stage. <laughs> is this is this D and D, Glenn? AD&D? Yes. This, this no. This is Labyrinth Lord, actually. But oh, even difference. better. Take t- um, take the wor- take the advice of an old magic user. Tattoo a couple of first level spells to your forearms. Oh, I got colors. I got one one spell. I got color spray. I'm having fun with that. Um, but the I it, it made me realize something about the OSR. Remember they always said, well, we put those big band monsters in there to teach the players when to run away. Mm-hmm. And I realized the problem with that is you can only run away when the DM lets you run away. Oh, that, listen, we did that. Because basically game. we walked in there. I was starting to back up because, like, I got one spell and I can't take out this many orcs. And he says, and then he starts, well, they jump on you and beat you unconscious. Here's a, here's uh, a. I, I see a, a plot device. And I said, okay. You cannot resist the plot device. Yeah, that's why I said, I'm supposed to learn to run away, but you're not letting me run away. Well, yep. if Odinus is doing that to you, that's a pro DM skill where you, it's like in chess when you get the, the your opponent forked. If you get uh-huh. the players in a place in the dungeon where there's an encounter at either end, then they have to fight. Yeah, True. Um, well, there's a difference between, yeah, the strategy of putting them in a position where running is impossible versus, you know, well, you can't because you're knocked unconscious because then you don't even get a chance. Oh, well, yeah. that's, that's a Tim Kessler. But he, he, he narrated it that way, and all of us looked at each other and going, mm. okay, let's see where this is going. And, you know, we ended up in the cell, and we finally got our stuff near the end of the session. But It's like we go out, we start exploring and Father, he has to say, guys, your stuff is the other way. <laughs> because That's like, the problem. <laughs> you assume players are going to do A, B, or C. I've always discovered players will discover a D, E, and F. Uh-huh. So yeah. you really have to kind of plan for – make the assumption they're going to do stuff that you're just not going to think of and be ready for that. And that's And that's where I got the Facebook quote I put up there. Uh, is there anything else in the room? Dude, I just rezzed your cleric. Suck it. <laughs> That's harsh. <laughs> I'll tell you after the air who said that. I I know who it was, but I don't want to say on the air. All right. Hi. Oh, so, <laughs> but that's me. So. Okay. How about well, you, Mike? Well, in the show notes on the website, we'll provide a link to Glenn's Facebook page. <laughs> For the rest of you, yeah. Well, I haven't had any gaming but. Liz hasn't, so I pretty much talked about it already. Well, I I had noticed that a certain Troll Lord Games has added to their coming soon uh, product catalog. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, last I heard from Steve Chenault, Victorious should be published hopefully around Christmas, which means I'm expecting it around April. Yeah, but, so, but if I mean, if they surprise on, me, that'll be great. But, but come on, round of applause. Yeah, if everyone gets on Troll Lord's Facebook page and tells him how much you desperately want to see Victorious in print, you know, maybe that'll light a fire under his butt. <laughs> I don't know this, Mike, but a bunch of us have got a little cabal together to ensure you run this at North Texas Con. If it's out, I'll run it. I guess it's too late to play test it, huh? 
<laughs> seven years of play testing. Just, well, I wanted a free copy. That's all. Uh, but uh, <laughs> well, I can't pre. Well, if it's already published as a, fr- I can't give. If I give it as a free copy, it's not play testing because it's obviously already published. <laughs> True. <laughs> but yeah, no. The last time Liz, oh well, I tried. Went down and said you cannot make any more changes. So. <laughs> Or actually, I said, if you make any more changes, you are rewriting all of my character sheets. Because yeah. every time he has changed the rules, I've had to redo all my character sheets. And after the fifth or sixth time, it's like, no, I'm tired of this. <laughs> any more changes, you redo my character sheets. <laughs> I'll just, uh, of course it was me, I'd probably say, okay, you get to write the errata sheet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I figure I'll just put up optional rules on the upcoming Victorious Facebook page, which hopefully will be up in the next couple of weeks. Knock on wood. Yeah. Which will probably link, link or at least like it from the Save or Die site if people are interested. And for those who don't know, Victorious is a superhero role-playing game based on Trollor Games' Siege Engine rule system, which they Another. use in the and Crusades RPG. Another Although, Supers game. Yeah, no, no. It's a um, uh, unlike other Supers games, this one is based in 1890s literary London and New York. It's a little League of Extraordinary Hero action. There is no legal copyright uh, <laughs> actionable similarities between that and any movie or comic book series. You didn't put the name Moore in there anywhere, did you? No. <laughs> Good. But, uh, yes, there will be Sherlock Holmes, uh, Captain Nemo, Robert the Conqueror, etc., etc., Professor Challenger, etc., as well as various level ranks if you're just wanting to play relatively historic Victorian with a little weird powers all the way up to full 4D scientific romance slash comic book style activities. Mm. So uh, sounds very Edgar Rice Burroughs. Yes, yeah. even more so. So that's not really what I've done recently since I turned in the the manuscript three months ago. But the final manuscript, I've been turning in various manuscripts. Uh-huh. Well, but six or I, seven years from now, when it's my turn to have a big game published, you just remember, yay, yay, <laughs> right? Oh, so yay. back to the show. Uh, Liz, do we have any emails? Emails, emails. We do have emails. Good Darn emails. It. Forgot to get you to play the voicemails. We'll have to save those for next time. Yes, we have emails. We have voicemails. That we have a- even more emails that we don't have time to get to in this episode. So calculated darn it from Mike. So for anyone who is listening and you sent us an email, you know, several weeks ago, and, you know, maybe even a month or so ago, and we haven't read it yet. It's because we are behind. <laughs> I thought it was And since they- we just did an all-email show for 77, we think it's kind of, we don't want to have another email show this soon. But we will get to your email, and we are happy that you are all, you know, writing into us and interacting with us. So please don't take this as a plea to stop writing us because we want you to keep on. Oh no, and we will get the voicemails next time. <clears throat> hey Jim. 
Yo. You want to uh, co-host a new podcast with me? <laughs> letters, letter. It's called Letters to Wild Games Productions. We do all the shows, emails, just that. Um, um, oh, let's ask Vince. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that'd help. <laughs> Okie dokie. So, our first email is from DM Raston. And he writes, hey guys. Hey guys. Hey Raston. Hey Raston, man. He says, I've been listening the past few weeks and I'm enjoying the show so much, I've made my way through nearly half the back catalog. You've also inspired cool. me to start running a game of basic using the Labyrinth Lord rules. <laughs> I was wondering if you had ever done an episode on the hex crawl or sandbox type of play. If so, which episode? If not, you should. I'm finding my campaign is heading in that direction, as the simple, basic D&D rules lend themselves to the style. I was also wondering if any of you guys ran a sandbox or hex crawl game and had any favorite random tables that you used and could recommend. Keep it old school, DM Raston. Thank you, man. That's I uh, and I, we haven't done one before. Really, I thought we'd done one already. Okay, maybe it's, I'm wrong. Probably. Oh. Well, maybe it was one of the early shows that Liz and I weren't on. You were. I don't um, recall us talking about it. Oh, okay. You have been absent a few times. Yes. Yeah, I know there have been some where Mike and I hadn't been able to be on, and you know, say DM right. Julie would be on instead of us or other people. So or it, just, it was, yeah, or it was just, or it was just Mike or something. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? That's right. Or Crispy or somebody. Yeah. Okay. I'm gotcha. say just Mike. What? It's the Mike show. We're, no. we're going to kind of touch on this subject this episode, though, right? Because of what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, more or less. Yeah. Chronicles does play have a have a considerable sandbox setting to it. Yes, it does. Most most books like that do. The uh, best. The best uh, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Way well, back. as far as. Hmm? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, as far as favorite random tables, um, some of my favorite um, sites online for random tables, and I believe this was one that DM Glenn first hooked me up on oh, you a couple like, of years ago. You um, still look on that? Yeah, the Dungeon Dozen. Yes. Yes. Um, that's a that's a cool one to, to do. It's just nothing but random tables. For a D12. Yeah, for D12s, which is why it's called the Dungeon Dozen. Now, not all of them are going to be, you know, usable for sandbox or hex crawl. But, but I'll use them anyway. But there are plenty that you can. And, you know, they're just good tables for almost anything you want. Um, there's another site I like called Hex Crawl. And um, it's a pretty easy URL, I think it's just, you know, hexcrawl.net, something like that. But you can just, you know, type in hexcrawl and find it. We'll try and it. put it in the show notes. Um, and because I love Holmes, Xenopus Archives, again, not, you know, for sandbox games, but you've got some good tables in the in that blog if you look back through the archives for good stuff like that. I'd say those are my top three choices for finding random tables for use. Can I ask a question? Hmm? Am I going to get tagged as a curmudgeon if I just say, what's wrong with the back 20 or 40 pages of the Dungeon Master's Guide in 1st Edition AD&D? Well, you oh. wouldn't be a curmudgeon, but... Taco. 
this is a basic game. You probably shouldn't be using the AD&D book, but you you could, yeah. Well, one could retort that it suggests in your beloved homes to go to that book. This is true. Uh, there's a few. There's a few good tables in the. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. There's some okay tables in the. The back. only reason it makes me say that is the only time this question has been relevant to me because I'm old is when we very first started playing, which that's the rule set we played with, and we did do it just. I mean, because we were new and we didn't know what we were doing, and there weren't any published adventures hardly, and we just ran out into the woods and started mapping like crazy. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with that. As far as my table, the tables I prefer, uh, Judges Guild Wilderlands. Most of their setting books have great hex-based encounters. And even if you're not playing, you know, Wilderlands, you can take those ideas and put them in hexes in your own campaign, which I have done on occasion. So. If you have a chance, get a hold of some of the Wilderlands of High Fantasy, Wilderlands of the Magic Realm, etc., etc. There's like eight or nine of those books. Well, Wilderlands of the High Fantasy was the one that started it, I believe. That was the original Wilderlands book, supplement, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's what I would suggest. Thanks for the email. Yeah, thank you. And our next email is from... Got out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> our next email is from James Carpio. Oh, dude. And James writes, Hi, all. Long-time listener, first-time writer. I yeah, think. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, great job on number 76, This Time It's War. It got me thinking about how I would handle a mass combat in Basic Expert or Dungeon Crawl Classics. While there is a great number of systems out there, ACKS, Battle System, Chainmail, etc., all have a bit too much crunch for my curmudgeon tastes. While I loved crunch when my, in my youth, now in my 40s, I tend to want rules like games. You Get know, out. Here, yeah. <laughs> yep. So, playing around with an idea based on a dice pool, I came up with a generic system that could be used with DCC and BASIC. Take a look. I would love to hear your feedback. Please point out if it is broken. Anyway, keep up the great work. Oh, yeah, my site, www.hexgeneration.com. There, we got it in. Ha-ha, yes. Yes. I took a look at it. There's a lot of... There's a lot of die rolling for me, um, for my personal tastes, but it does it does seem as though James has you know condensed it down to something you know kind, you know simple. You know you're not dealing with a billion different die rolls, but there is still a lot of die rolling over and over and over and over again, which seems to me like it might be a bit. Um, it, it might get wearing at least. You know, I don't like wargaming, that kind of stuff anyway, so I'm probably not the best person to ask. But reading over it, that's kind of what I got. Um, did any of the rest of you have a chance to look at it? I did, and uh, James shouldn't take it personally, because if I remember the episode, you and I both basically said we wouldn't do math we would, in our if, games in the first place. Yes, if we could possibly get away with it, we wouldn't even do it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? there, there was definitely a... Uh, 
champions-esque hero system number of D6s being rolled in James's system. But I, I looked at it, and uh, it looked like it would work great mm-hmm. as a shortcut. Mm-hmm. Glenn? What's wrong with D6s? <laughs> I, I didn't say there was anything. Okay. Just said it reminded him. Fine. Well, I'd just flip a coin. <laughs> no. no, I mean, what do you think of his no, system? Um, if I, I, I don't know. I hadn't seen it. In ah. fact, this is the first time I was aware of it. Um, I don't look into the email bag very much. <laughs> I, I go there. I go there when they say, "Oh, get the voicemails." Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I think I actually think you would like it, Glenn, because it's a dice pool really? system using d sixes uh, with you okay. know, numbers of dice per side, and uh, what's rolled is affected by whether or not the player characters are in a command group. Okay, that might that might work. I might like it. I mean, if nothing, you know, if I left to my own devices, I'll probably go over to look at War Machine again, and maybe either use that as written or just you know hammer something together on my own based on that. I mean, it would definitely be a good system if you didn't want to grind your entire D and D game to a halt to spend an entire evening with a sand table and miniatures. You just roll some dice and get it over with in an hour or two. Yes, hour, half hour. Oh yeah, probably. You're right. Yeah. Anyway, that's where I stand. How about you, Mike? I think it might have some possibilities. I was a little leery on how the larger die for the officers and quote unquote major characters had a wider die number for being wounded. Just on, on that, it seemed like it might actually be more likely for your officers to get wounded than the squads. On the other hand, you're dealing with a squad of four to five men. Um, I don't know. I think it's one of those you'd have to give it a try and see how it resulted. It would, it does require a whole lot of dice offing, mm-hmm. which I guess if you're do- rolling there with your players at the time might keep excitement going. If you're just a DM trying to determine the random results of a battle, uh, that's happening off stage and you don't want to just ad lib it, it could take a while. Right. Yeah, hey, Glenn, when I've got a 12th level magic user casting fireball, I don't mind rolling d6s at all. Ah, good. Nothing against good. d6s. No. Good. Okay, well, hopefully that helps, James. Thanks for the write in. Yeah, and if nothing else, maybe some of our other listeners will take a look, try it themselves, and they can give you some extra feedback as well. But I have it on Jim's web's, uh, blog. It's really good. <laughs> I like it. Okie dokie. Our next email is from Andrew, also known as Outlander78. Outlander. Hi, Hi Andrew. And he writes, hi, folks. I haven't written in a long time. I am still enjoying the show. Thank you for keeping it going and maintaining it at such a high quality level. Thanks. I'm trying to add a series of crypts to my game and am stumped how to make them more interesting. I would like to hear your ideas on what you can put in a crypt other than undead, coffins, treasure, and simple traps darts, poison, needles, etc., to make them exciting and interesting. I would especially like to hear what each of you considers your favorite puzzle from past games. Full disclosure, I'm sending this to both RFI and SOD, as I would like to hear all of your ideas. Cheers, Andrew. Well, let's see. I'd put, like, some velvet in there, like mood lights. He said crib, right? 
Uh, no, crypt. Oh, crypt. crypt. Oh, okay, crypt. <laughs> Sorry, uh, reverse Although whatever I, guess, I said. I guess you could still put velvet and mood lights. That would make it very interesting indeed. <laughs> I just crypt I, things, crypt. I just hope the email got to roll for initiative first, so they answer first, because we're going to give you the right answer. <laughs> Ooh. Ow. Well, the classic answer, which is the right answer. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, first of all, anyone want to take that or shall I? Yeah, you take it. I want to see what you do with it. <laughs> I, I've got a very simple, very easy answer, so go for it. No, you go. If it's simple, because mine's going to take a bit. Oh, um, I mean, your one-stop shop for this exact kind of thing is uh, Michael Curtis's The Dungeon Alphabet. Which has just gone in its third printing. You can still get it, and I'm still trying to get a copy of that. It is just like it's it's like the manual of dungeon invention plus two or something. Every uh, single letter, like uh, Y, is for yellow mold. It's just got tables and tables and tables of things, and it's not where you would roll up exactly what's in the crypt. It's just idea seeds, but it's just intense and very complex and full of just old-school Gygaxian, Arnesonian kind of tricks and traps and poisons and pools that do stuff to you. That's my answer. Which is why it won the Three Castles Award at North Texas. Yes. Okay, Mike, you're on. Uh, Glenn? (laughs) (laughs) I said mine's going to take a while, so... Liz? 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 All right. I will go next. (laughs) I'll go next. Um, Mine's mine can be kind of goofy, though. So if this is not the flavor you're wanting, just skip over my answer and go on to Glenn or Mike. Um, The idea I came up with is giving the crypts an ecosystem of sorts, you know, a race of intelligent or semi-intelligent creatures that have made the crypts their home. And they resent outsiders coming in. Um, you know, you're trying to loot the crypt and you've got a family of, say, kobolds, you know, getting, <laughs> upset, getting upset because yep, 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 yep. you're going through their living room or something. And, um, you know, and they just, you know, live among the crypts and none of the undead or anything bother them. And, you know, no one really knows why. Now, where it gets goofy is, you could have the monsters create a weird sort of tourist trap out of the crypts, offering guided group tours Ooh. with a bossy docent who gets out of sorts if it believes the PCs aren't paying attention to the educational knowledge, which may be completely wrong. We're walking, that we're walking, providing, we're looking. That it's providing during the tour. And PCs attempting to break away during the tour will be bullied into staying with the group. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, Liz. I mean, my my idea was a whole book of somebody else's ideas. You did it old school. You created your own idea. (laughs) So that's what I would do. Um, I think it would certainly be interesting. Might not be the flavor you're going for, though. (laughs) But it is an option. You know, that's the kind of thing I would like to run into as a party that the tour's going on, we broke in from another side, and it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. that, that, that idea was very mincer, Liz. Good job. I, 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 must, I must admit, I got the idea from the game that Frank ran in North Texas last year. Did you? Yeah, because he, he has this whole dungeon, um, Lich Lord, and level two 
is very administrative. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, the level one is like your, the, the top level as you go down, which had been published, you know, already back some time ago is a standard sort of dungeon crawl. And the book with the level two, which is the level lower down, you suddenly find yourself in a whole bunch of offices. And, you know, you're having to fill out forms and do all this stuff. And, you know, you're like, what is going on here? <laughs> that part of Frank's dungeon makes the turnstile elves at Castle Greyhawk look like, you know, the state fair or something. Oh, gosh, yes. But I had a blast going through it. And I think it could it could be a lot of fun and very unexpected for some players who are, you know, used to doing your standard Dungeon crawl, let's kill everything, and then all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, whoa, what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. This what do you mean the token this, go further? <laughs> that sounds very much like a sketch I saw on the BBC. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so Glenn? I, yeah, right. Uh, standard crypt stuff, um, tombs, coffins, Skeletons. I like skeletons, and I like the idea that Liz came up with of the uh, the ecosystem. The uh, people who are already there go away, but I would probably make them something like degenerate humans or rednecks. That would work out real well. Mm. <laughs> Redneck um, tombs. Yeah, so is, a copper still is in the tomb. There you go. Yes, there you go. Okay, yeah. You know what? Bunch of redneck goblins down there with a still, who sell the stuff, and they make it. Uh, they make it out of whatever the hell they find in the crypt. There you go. I would also like to put a crypt thing in there. I believe crypt thing is in basic too. Um, mm, I don't think so. Well, as, of, being... as of barrow maze, it is. Okay. Well, if it's in barrow maze, it's in barrow. Crypt but, things are in barrow maze. I mean, although I will say, even though. It was in Fiend Folio and uh-huh. not a traditional basic expert monster. Right. I would totally use Crypt Things anyway. <laughs> crypt Things and Crypt Servants if you could find it for basic, but I don't think they did that. That was in 2E. I just want to um, let any of our listeners know who work at uh, Wizards of the Coast that the Saber Die staff is for hire as freelance designers. That's right. We are? Oh, yeah, we are. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> But, Sorry, guys, I can't do four or five. So, or three. All right, Mike, you're up. So that's it? You're just that's doing it. regular tomb stuff or redneck goblins? Yeah, there you go. That'll Yeah, that'll work. Okay. <laughs> all right. Tombs all that much thought, really. Outlander's never going to ride us again. You really built the <laughs> tension up, Mike. This better be good. Well, Should I put the drum roll? What I think the big problem that you're running into, Outlander, I assume so, I could be wrong, is that when we think of tombs, particularly in D&D or whatnot, we think of what amounts to a Western tomb, a stone room with a portcullis maybe, a sarcophagus with a coffin. Something you find Dracula in, that kind of thing. Yeah, and – you might be better off taking the idea of other cultures' tombs, most notably either Chinese or Egyptian, where the tomb wasn't just a, la- a place where the person, the important person, because Joe Schmo did not get a crypt, um, is buried, 
but there are aspects of their entire life throughout the crypt that's true or the tomb you have rooms that deal with you know the the er- their early life maybe if they were a ruler there'll be a room for that with various knickknacks like, like, or various aspects that reflect their life like a crown perhaps or like like the the pyramids yeah that's what's about egypt yeah well, even that, which and, pyramids? The Chinese pyramids? The Aztec pyramids? Well, I said Egypt. I doubt there are very many Chinese pyramids in Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Go on. But the Chinese, you know, the whole uh, terracotta army uh-huh. that was found in the Egyptian – or the yeah, – they got me doing it. <laughs> the Chinese emperor's tomb in western China. Um, it wouldn't take much to ma- turn those into, you know – uh, terracotta golems. I, I just played that exact scenario a few months ago, and it was awesome. We're like, okay, there's 50 little clay guys. We ignore them, and then they kicked our ass. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Um, that would also apply to other, like, say, the South American. I mean, I think Greg Gillespie and Barrow Maze went that route pretty well, where you have a underground place, but it's all like crypts, and you have that one room made of skulls and things like that, you know. Yeah, his barrows, he did a pretty good job of making what amounts to, in one way, they're all barrows, so to a degree, they are crypts, basic crypts. But on the other hand, I think he did a good job in varying the theme of each one. Right. So they weren't like, yawn, another, you know, another tomb with another sarcophagus. You open up, there's an undead, kill, take treasure next. It's not like that. Right. And, and this is why our answer is going to be better than the answer you get on Roll for Initiative, because on this podcast, we have two artists, an artist actor, and a college history professor. Ba-doom. Well, there you go. But talking of tombs, there is I was, a... I was, doing, I was doing the math, sorry. A module... <laughs> You're the artist actor, Glenn. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Next email. <laughs> sorry. Okie dokie. Our next email is from Premier, and he says, Hi, guys. It's Premier, Kalman Farago, and I probably totally mispronounced that name. If so, sorry. It's always his fault. (laughs) From the Dragon's Foot and other forums. I've posted in Sieg's thread there, but then I noticed the email address, and though I'll copy and paste my post here for your feedback, reading pleasure. A quick note before I'm off to work, because I can't be bothered to dig up my old WordPress account for access to the website. You guys raised the question of why high-level druids have to duel to advance. I feel pretty confident that originally this had nothing to do with thoroughly considered game balance reasons or controlling druid numbers or anything of the sort, but rather it was simply a tip of the hat to Julius Caesar's Commentari Labello Gallico which Gary, being a consummate wargamer, must have read. Mm-hmm. Quote, Over all these druids, one presides, who possesses supreme authority among them. Upon his death, if any individual among the rest is preeminent in dignity, he succeeds. But if there are many equal, the election is made by the suffrages of the druids. Sometimes they even contend for the presidency with arms. And it was translated by W.A. McDevitt. 
says, I'm sure there was no design behind it whatsoever. To paraphrase the title of old geezer's book in the making, they made some shit up they thought would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> I bet well, he's you, right. Yeah, I would totally forgotten about Caesar's commentaries on Gaul. Well, I could uh, always I could I could see two druids with like fencing foils. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and they're gold ones. Yeah, gold ones, and they're yeah, sick shaped. Yeah. And uh, hey, as, gold. as long as you wrap it in mistletoe, you're good. Hey, magic missile, wands of magic missile at 12, 10 paces. There's a new spell, magic mistletoe. Yeah, I was just <laughs> thinking that, magic mistletoe, yes. See, folks, every episode we come up with new <laughs> crap that you can use. <laughs> Astound your players. <laughs> yes, make them wonder where you got them and your sanity. <laughs> or give them you two can have your players go, where did that come from? <laughs> All that and more on Save or Die. Die, die, die. You are welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Premier. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Thank you. I appreciate that. And our final email is from Alan McKenzie Graham. Alan. And Alan writes, Dear Sod, the last podcast was fantastic. The best one yet. The Thank you. The only thing missing was Glenn. Aww. And a little sad frowny face. Aww. <laughs> I would like to make a suggestion, and I realize that this would depend Replace on... Replace him. No, no, no. <laughs> and I realize that this would depend on a lot of factors, but I really enjoy John Peterson's contributions to the show. Oh, no. Would you consider making him a permanent host? I told him. I warned him. His insight <laughs> into the history of the game adds another dimension to the discussion, and you all seem to have a really good chemistry together. Thanks, Alan. P.S. Glenn, I live in Los Angeles, and my wife is from a small town called Hennessy in northwestern Oklahoma. Wow. Go Sooners. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, football. You guys are my witness. I warned John. I'm like, this is how they got me on the show. Watch out. <laughs> no, we got you begged us to come on here. Yeah, but we were secretly hoping. Liz, secret admirer. <laughs> Actually, I think it was he was begged to be on RFI, but anyway, because we're the cooler. <laughs> but that's another story. Uh, but uh, trying to get over that. But <laughs> yeah, John. John Peterson, I think, did really well over here. Um, I'm not sure his schedule would allow a regular appearance, but you know, we've had him on now twice, and we've told him we'd like him to come back in the in the future, particularly when we're talking about 70s era classic D and D. And you know, be great to have him on. I don't know that his schedule will allow, though, for permanent status, though. But, but John, sure. if you're listening. <laughs> Rest assured, we will try to get him on again. <laughs> Indeed. And that's the end of the emails for this episode, yep. though not the end of our pile. <coughs> so if you didn't hear yours this time, maybe next time. We are getting through them as fast as we can. We've got a new pile. Yes. And you can send us email at saverdiepodcast at gmail.com. Or use our voicemail, 
3763, mm. re Like a champ. All right, and now we're going to cover the main issue for the show, which we'll be discussing Chronicles of Ameth by Peter Spahn at Small Niche Games. But first, we will have our usual announcements and other ephemera. Ooh. Ooh. So you guys are in the Misty Mug. What are you doing? I am buying a Blood Mermaid. A blind, as always. Sunshine comes out from the back. She actually needs some help with the problem. No problem. There's rats in the cellar. Oh, God. Giant rats, I presume. I don't know. Do you want to go check it out? So you guys make your way down into the cellar. Sure enough, amongst the crates and barrels, there are nine giant rats. Remember the last time we fought giant rats? They nearly killed us. In the nest of the giant rats is 2,000 copper pieces. Huh. 20 gold. One's copper. It's 2,000. <laughs> we came here to help Sunshine with their problem. We had to fight the giant rats. Initiative. Yeah. Check out the Delvers podcast at burnedfx.com. Who elected you leader of this outfit? Well, Pete, I figured it should be the one with the capacity for abstract thought. This is a simple game. I rule four, I don't want to catch anyone not drinking in their room after lights out. If somebody doesn't share your opinion. Rule six, there is no rule six. DM Fiat. DM Fiat. Okay. As we discuss the campaign setting, Chronicles of Amheth. First opinions. Jim, since I started with Liz last time. I have to be perfectly honest. I didn't think I was going to like this because there's just a t- ton of these things out there. But I read it for the show, and uh, it got me by uh, the short hairs immediately. I just love this thing. It's it's. If I were to sit down and do a fantasy campaign setting, um, this is my cup of tea. Okay. Anything stand out in particular to you that made it your cup of tea? Uh, I like that the uh, the milieu is uh, ambiguous and mysterious. And, uh, I, you know, as a uh, Jack Vance fan, I'm loving the whole idea that there was a, once a race of ancients and some of the magic laying around may be technological as well as magical in nature. You're not sure. I love that stuff. Okay. Glenn? I love the fact that we got a Mephra and Milieu in the same show. <laughs> Other than that, I was the one who hepped this up to you guys. We were going to do the Steeler Children, which is based in this world, but say, why don't we do the world first? And then I got the PDF, and I started venturing, and I said, guys, guys, this is the – read this, read this. This is good, and it is really good. Yeah, I think you got it read before any of us did. Yeah, surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to pull a Vince on this, but I didn't. So, nope. <laughs> but it's got it reads like it reads like a gazetteer, or for some of you other people, like a Forgotten Realms um, section book. Um, mm-hmm. It gives you like tons of places to adventure, tons of cities to visit. Some really neat new monsters, some really neat uh, artifacts and magic items. Um, it's just chock full of stuff. And this is, what, how many pages? Um, let me, Not much, like 65, 70? Wait a minute, I'll look it up. Um, it is 76 pages. Okay. It does it all in 76 pages. It's just incredible. I would bet you 100 bucks that uh, the author, <clears throat> Peter C. Spahn, you think that's, mm-hmm. that's how it's pronounced? Um, at some point played in the, played some of the Ultima 
uh, versions of Ultima, including Ultima Online, because the world is very much like that in that it's just very, it's small and manageable and compact while still being plenty expansive enough for a whole campaign. Yeah, I think this is the supplement that turned, that's turning me into a small niche games fanboy. Yeah, I have to say, I can't think, I mean, everybody puts out, you know, pro- nobody's good all the time. Everybody, you know, does adventures that are better than others, but I can't think of anything we've covered from small niche that I've not liked. Yeah, I mean, like from, from the, what, the, the Bloodman Rising to End of Lost Heroes and stuff like that, there's been little mm-hmm. things in there that we might change and stuff, but on the whole, they're great. Yeah, Pyramid of the Dragon. Uh-huh. Yeah, solid stuff. I'll tell you yeah. what, I like this enough that after reading the PDF, I plunked down for a soft cover. You yeah. kid. Wow. How wow. much is the soft cover? I know the PDF is on Drive the RPG well, for four ninety five. If you don't buy things the stupid way like me, it's five bucks for the PDF <laughs> and twelve ninety five for the soft cover and combined you get money off. But if you buy them separately you don't. Well thirteen nowadays is still a good price for a like you said, seventy six page book. What about you, Liz? Well, I really enjoy the low magic. Um, it's low magic. It's low level play. Both things that I personally enjoy a lot. Um, it's it's very early Middle Ages feel to me with the distrust of both magic as well as science. You know, any kind of innovations. You know, the common people distrusting because it's new and different. Um, I, it's, I, the feel of it is great. Yeah, uh, you're, you're not talking about gunpowder, the way the guy yeah, talk- You're talking about a new plow. No, no, yeah. no. That, that's it's like, oh, no, that's weird. We don't want to do that. You know, that's not the way we've done it. You know, so my kind father of dark and grand- Yeah, my father and grandfather used this kind of plow, and that. That's good enough for me. You know, I'm not going to do this new thing uh, that you've just come up with. Get out of there with your crazy fireplaces and chimneys. That's right. We got a we got a fire pit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, you must be a witch for coming up with a new plow. So. Yeah, and then people start giving you the hairy eyeball. Next thing you know, you might be run out of town on a rock. <laughs> yeah, if if I if he kept up any further with this, I was going to go all Monty Python and the Holy Grail on it with peasants in mud and all this yeah. other stuff. But yeah. yeah, so that was the thing that really stuck out to me as what I like about this supplement is. You know, it's got a very early Middle Ages feel to it. It's got low magic and it's, you know, designed for low level play because I rarely play characters that go over ninth level. I can only count once so far that I've done it. And that was in Chase's 2E game. Uh-huh. Uh, usually I start to get tired of my character around seventh level or so and i want to start over at level one i just really like low level play and everything being a challenge yeah and he's threatening to come out with more yeah i was you know seeing at the beginning he talks about you know planned releases of other products and you know we're talking about this this came out a couple of years ago and um so I was looking up to see if any of those releases that he talked about there, back in 2011 were out now. Um, the Guide to the Duchy of Volenwall, 
Um, last I was able to find mention of it, it's still a work in progress uh-huh. as of the first of this year. But it sounds like, you know, it's being, you know, it's being worked on. You know, hopefully we'll be able to f- see that sometime in 2014. Well, they do have the uh, Ghoul Keep and the Ghoul Lands out, mm-hmm. which is a section of uh, Amherst. But Mike, I actually thought of you when I read this because the uh, the society portrayed and the rich history that's embedded in these what seventy pages is really nicely written. That's, yeah, that's got to be right up your alley. Yeah, um, I really liked how the various cultures had inspiration at the end, where he pretty much said, "This is where I got the idea of uh, Mongols or Western, you know, yeah. European, yeah, High Middle Ages England, so on and so forth." It gives you a baseline of knowing yeah. what he was thinking about when. Yeah, and it gives a, a GM a convenient little snapshot. It's like, oh, okay, so. Right. Yeah. And in full disclosure, I will say now I don't generally like reading campaign settings. Um, to me, it's the DM equivalent of the player going. You know, here, let me tell you about my character excruciating detail for the next two hours. <laughs> Nine times out of ten, you, you just don't care. But he gives you a, a framework for each kingdom, but doesn't bury you in detail like, you know, Forgotten Realms or Kren does. And that's just my opinion. Some people love all that detail and crunch, but to me as a DM, I feel it like a straitjacket. I'll up you that plus uh, some blasphemy. I like the way this was written better than the World of Greyhawk. Folio or box set? Uh, the first one. The folio? Yeah. Really? Okay. I would compare it favorably to the folio. Um, I, but then I never liked the the Greyhawk box set. I mean, I like the maps and some of the, you know, like the heraldry and stuff, but the, you know, the more there's detail given, the less I find a campaign interesting. And I think he pretty much hit the sweet spot with this. And if there's going to be more detail books coming out, that may make it crunchier than I'd be comfortable with, but it's optional. It, it, it has that feeling. You could run just off this. Yeah. I like how it's vague enough. You know, you can decide for yourself as an individual GM, you know, this is why this is happening, you know, or, well, is it magic? I've decided it's actually science, you know, I've decided it's this. So, yeah, it's, you know, he he gives you wiggle room to make it your own. That's Mm -hmm. very Robert E. Howard, very Jack Vance. Yeah. And... Yeah, history is legend. You know, you just, yes, this is what everybody believes. Is it the truth? Who knows? Yeah. Up to you as a DM. And I like that. But to segue into, or at least to segue off of one of our emails, this strikes me as a very plausible sandbox type campaign setting. Um, both with his adventures, he's sure to give adventure hooks for each territory or city. And was that Dutch? He, he places half of his modules in there, I believe. Yeah. As well as one from Brave Halfling and another from Faster Monkey Games. I don't know if well, those are even really hooks. They're more like 
plot seeds or idea adventure yeah. seeds. But there's well, a no. gajillion I'm, of them. I gotta kind of bit in, disagree a bit. There's no story arc or anything like a module, but you know, if you say that, then you have to say something like gazetteers are sandboxes, which I don't think they're sandboxes. They're source books for a place with a whole bunch of adventure stuff in it. When I think of sandbox, I think, okay, here's the hexes, and this is in each hex or something like that. Oh. I know it's similar, but it's a different feel to me. Okay. Then maybe, mm-hmm. maybe like like you said, Judges Guild, uh, Wilderlands of the Magic Realm, and say, okay, mm-hmm. now that to me is a sandbox. On the other hand, you know, looking through this, you know, he has just adventure ideas thrown out oh, for every yeah. different place that you're in, you know, as possible hooks. Uh-huh. So I think that's kind of sandbox because well, you I can feel just grab one. I feel it's sandboxy because he specifically says, you know, this is going on here and this is that module, you know, see Blood Moon Rising or see End of Lost Heroes for this location. You know, that to right. me, that's that's mm-hmm. the sandboxy bit to me. Okay. Although I'll, I'll grant you, I think it's mostly just the duchy. But, yeah. Uh, but yep. yeah. It's astoundingly well-crafted. Yes, it is. I mean, the, the maps, like you were talking about, okay, Glenn, hex crawl, the, the, the maps aren't hex based. The maps look like something, uh, Tolkien drew for one yes. of the books. Very, very nice. But yeah, you're right. There's no hexes involved with this. I think that's mainly because he's, it's for Labyrinth Lord. It is, it is says it's, it's for Labyrinth Lord, but I think he was, he was also trying to even the maps keep him generic enough so he knows like whatever scale you want or something like that. And someone could probably tell me if this is already a thing. Um, can you buy clear overlays that have, you know, hexes already on them so you can just drop them over a drawn map and instant hexes? You used to be able to. Uh, inkjet printer and a trip to Office Depot, you can print them out yourself. Well, I've, se- I've seen them on the web. I've yeah, seen but, you know, yeah. I think that would be, you know... You know, just if you want hexes, you know, just get something like that and, you know, just do the clear overlay on top of your map. And then you can draw on it and you're not, you know, messing up your, your map. Now, let me, let me add to this some, some disclosure. Um, I read at the beginning, this is for Labyrinth Lord and they also use some stuff for the advanced edition companion. Um, but I believe if it's the one I read, yeah, this is the one. They basically took the sample campaign world from the back of the Labyrinth Lord book, and yeah, just, that Dutchy. Yeah, it just went on. It, it's in here. It just they here. Okay, here's our development on it. That's what this is. Mm-hmm. We just you know ran. They just ran with it, which is good if you've started playing Labyrinth Lord and that was your campaign setting to right. start off with, but you want to expand the world. Right. And it's a good expansion. You should, Liz, you should do this because this is exactly like somebody took the little port town in the Homes Companion and built a whole world around it. You should do that. <laughs> I don't know if I could – I don't think I could do anything better than what's already on the Xenopus archives. Um, <laughs> that is just some some great stuff with – Poor town and the surrounding areas. Yeah, Thorcammer's supplement was pretty good too. Yeah, I liked it. It had the same feel of you know general locations. But anyway, uh, were there any variant rules given in here that would 
be different from the Labyrinth Lord slash Moldvay Cook Menser type D and D that y'all came across. I didn't see any really. Oh, there were tons. Okay, then I'm wrong. It does. It doesn't sound like I read this, folks, but I did read it. Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> I really I, did. I don't know if rules variances is uh is what they are as much as it reads like very much like somebody's home campaign. Like, I mean, those of us who are not prone to going and purchasing uh, campaign settings, we create our own and and just like I would take this and just beg, borrow, and steal from it. Um, those there there are things that are different than Labyrinth Lord rules that are like campaign setting specific. I don't think there's anything that that would change the campaign world into something unrecognizably LL slash D at D. Right. Um, well, in a sense that, you know, they didn't flip armor class, you know, ascending from descending or something like that. Yeah, orcs are not lawful farmers, you know. In fact, there aren't orcs. He calls them rucks. Yeah, I was going to say, they don't, yeah, and they don't have orcs, they don't have goblins or ogres, they're all different creatures. If I have a single nitpick with the whole campaign setting, it's that it's written um, very human-centric, and all the demi-human races are shoved off to the side, and then all the evil monster races have their own territories, and they, that's, I just, I, that's a nit for me, just because in my... Well, he can't, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, if you're going to do that, I say do it like uh, Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. It's humans. I mean, there's lots of human races, but humans are all there are to play. Because uh-huh. the problem in a in a D and D game is you always want the classic party, and that starts to get clunky when you know you're the elf, but to level up, you have to go across the continent and back to your hometown or something. Yeah. Well, if you use training rules, yeah. Or if everybody hates you, every single town you go in because you're a dwarf. Yeah. Uh, well, he said that right up front. It's human-centric. Yeah, I, I, I don't can see what you mean. I just, I'm like, do it or don't do it. The kind of and and I'm th- and I'm thinking because he just gave him like little lip service there. You know, the doors are here, the elves are here. This like it sounds like he may be like, okay, we're going to do another one detailing these type of thing. Well, I just yeah, mean that I, as I, a I can see what thing. you're saying. Um, personally, I've always felt that. You know, making it difficult occasionally for elves or dwarves in a way is kind of a campaign or campaign role playing counter to the fact that, well, you know, they have a lot of bennies coming right out the gate at first level. You know what I mean? It, it, they have, give them some kind of handicap. I didn't mean it as any big criticism. I mean, if, on a scale, oh, no, no. It's, a it's one a to a hundred, that's, that, that's all the noxus down to like a 98 to me. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I know what you mean. Uh, there have been some people I know that have run purely human campaigns, so you don't have to worry about that. And elves and dwarves, etc., are just like, well, monsters, except they just happen to be benign ones. But I can see, I can see where you're arguing. You know, on that point, and it's certainly a valid way of doing it. Uh, I personally kind of like giving my players grief because they're <laughs> so. You know, it's it's true. I, he does. I do, especially the elves. Especially the elves. <laughs> elves believe they're stronger, faster, more more appealing than humans, and they're right. But they haven't learned that you don't. You don't rub that in their faces. So <laughs> you don't go around pointing it out. You don't go around pointing that out without humans 
starting to hate you, you know? It, it's kind of, you, you like, a, you want to live a thousand years? Well, let's do it one game session at a time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every it, it kind of reminds me of the sci-fi stuff where the other alien race is going, oh, you stupid backward humans. Yeah. That kind yeah. of thing. And, and there are some sci-fi games where, you know, if you look at mechanically, that's true. You know, humans are like, wow, you know, why would you play a human when you could play blah, blah, blah? Because they're all so much better. That's true. Like, well, they've got to have some kind of hang-up. Otherwise, yeah, you end up with a party of nothing but dwarves or elves or whatever. Or, or, or yeah, or I forgot. Rots. <laughs> <laughs> Or kinder, or yeah, or gnomes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I will say <laughs> the the whole the whole humanocentric, you know, feel and background. You know, all of the other demi-human races having been more or less crushed and driven away. It sort of gave me the idea of this is probably what Middle Earth would have been like oh, if Sauron it. had won. This is, that's it. Oh, yeah, the Emperor Zan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah this is what would have happened. Yeah. You put your finger on it. This campaign setting is like what uh, Middle Earth would be at the end of the Third Age and the beginning of the Fourth Age, and I, you know, that wouldn't be my favorite age to play. Without a yeah. Sauron. Although it does give that kind of Star Wars feel to it, you know, the... Tattered rebel alliance standing against the huge evil empire. Ah, yes. Um, Yes, they have a huge one. Yeah, um, which, yeah, if that's not your bag, then, yeah, it's certainly not going to work for you. Um, I found the Zan, the Emperor Zan, kind of amusing, how he seems to stick his name on everything. Yeah. You'll have to use the Zan Bridge down Zan Road to get to Zanberg. Executive well, producer, the, Zan. Zan, I, yeah. The one thing, I know they left things like up in the air so you could do it if you wanted it, but for some reason it really drove me crazy, the fact that he gets assassinated and comes back like a week later. <laughs> or even that, a, day that, later a day later. Or a day, or a like, day later. Who do you and think you like, are, a okay, player character? <laughs> I know you say a DM make this up, but it's like, no, I want to know. <laughs> Well, you see, I'm the other way around. I like that he doesn't tell you because then you can do anything you want with it. You know. It's, right. Well, I know that's the point, but it it just the 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 fan in me is going like, like okay, is Han going to come out of the carbonite? Yeah. <laughs> you you're going, okay. How did he really do it? When you designed yeah. this, how did you? I, I, I kind of feel that way myself. You know, if I was going to run this, I'd make up my own, but I'd still like to go. To Peter and just secretly say, okay, when you wrote this, what was your idea? (laughs) (laughs) This is what I did. What did you do? (laughs) Well, if he's anything like me, he may say, I didn't know. I just thought it would be cool. (laughs) Yeah. This is is classic uh, storytelling conundrum. We all want spoilers. And 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 then when you get them, you're like, oh, now I know. Oh, yeah, I never, I never feel that way. What are you talking about? Or when you get tons of detail, you know, then it's like, well, now everything's explained, but now I don't really want to run the campaign because it's chock full of explanations. Yeah. There's nothing so, I can do to make it my own. So it's really well, kind of a catch-22. See, the Zan thing kind of like walks the line with me. Okay. Yeah, I'll make something up, but what what happened? What happened? You know? yeah. <laughs> Just like if I was playing in your world, what would be the explanation? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Well, maybe we can get him to write in and tell us what was he, what he was. If thinking. you were playing in my world, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> you would never find out. <laughs> no, I have to find out. <laughs> DM, TDM, come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, another thing he did in here, as well as giving certain specialty rules like uh, the latents, which yes. I thought was an interesting way of, you know, just wanting to learn magic is not enough. You had to actually ha- be a latent with the ability, which is a different way of handling it. Um, not exactly the way I tend to like my D&D, but, you know, if you're wanting to... Make sure, like Liz was saying, a low magic world so you don't have, you know, Bob the Magician on for the music magic shop at the corner. That's a way of taking, of handling it. So you have to have midichlorians or? Something. Well, you know, something like. And they're not really sure what it is. Again. Well, like, um, except uh, you may be directly descended from the ancient ones. Yeah, may. But, uh, I mean, but again, that's, that's a beautiful game mechanic because it has absolutely no impact on play for the players because if you roll up uh, the right stats and want to play a cleric or a wizard, you, you're automatically a latent. But if you roll up a fighter or a dwarf and you're also latent, then you start getting arcane bleed into your stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, tell or them about arcane. Wild magic. <laughs> no. Yeah, it was yeah, kind of this- like an X-Men thing where you don't know you're a latent growing up, but Things just start to happen around you because your channel, your body's cycling all this magic, arcane energy all the time. And if you True. handle an object long enough, it starts to pick up arcane bleed and charge up. So, you know, you're a fighter, player character, and one day your sword is plus one and you don't even know why. That's pretty cool. I'd like to create a society that was like the Inhumans from Marvel where, like, if a latent is born, they stick him in this mist and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just want to play in my campaign because that's exactly how many. What happened? Then he comes out and can't talk to anyone because it'll blow up buildings. Yes. So what happened? Yeah, but he's got a really sexy butt. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like this, this, this. What if Black Bolt had hiccups? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, wasn't that like um, Assistant Editor's Month? That was a, that was a what if. Uh, yeah, he, he became, yeah, what if the Inhumans started a rock band? Oh, yeah. And Black Bolt was their singer. Oh, God. Yeah. I like the Black Bolt hiccups. He's walking down the street. These buildings are collapsing. <laughs> well, speaking of Inhumans, there's that scene in the Kevin Smith movie Mallrats where Banky wants to quiz Stan Lee about uh, Reed Richard and Sue Storm's sex life. And I'm I'm, just, I'm thinking right now, Medusa. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a hairy one. Yeah. Uh, uh, ha, ha, ha. Anyway. So anyway. <laughs> We're talking about the magical bleed, and which brings over talking about magic items in the campaign. Um, I like way he mentioned, you know, that some magic items, people have no idea are magic items and really don't want to know that they're magic items. They're just, oh, this is my lucky sword or something. Right. Um, I thought that was a nifty way of, of... I think it's an excellent way to explain why you have artifacts of some big warrior who was never a magic user but he got it's got this power yeah or even just you know this sword has always done really well for me in combat most oh, yeah. most warriors aren't going to immediately go oh it must be a magical plus two sword or something no yeah. it's just, they're just going to think i'm really good you i'm know? really good and this is a good tool you know yeah this is the this is the crusty t-shirt of borbazon 
I'm uh, it works for me. I'm for anything that is that encourages role play and discourages metagaming. Yeah, I'm for that. But that is a that is a good system. Does any magic do any magic items stand out for any of you? Well, I personally I liked the weir skin a lot. Um, basically, an animal skin that allows you to turn into that animal. Uh, I believe it was up to three times a day. Uh-huh. Um, it really reminded me a lot of the old Skinwalker legends of the Navajo. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, so that just that that just in, intrigued me when I read that. It's like, oh, cool. <laughs> I liked how you could even do like squirrels. As long as the skin, you know, you had enough squirrel skins t- sewn together to cover you up. Does that shrink you down into a, yeah, into yeah. the size of a squirrel? Yeah, you're not like, yeah, a six foot squirrel, no. Yeah, you're not like squirrel girl or something. <laughs> Although that could be cool all by itself, a six foot, a dire squirrel. <laughs> Liz would probably have a wear skin of a rescue kitty. Yes. Or kobolds. Yeah, here's a cobalt cape. Or maybe not, considering, you know, she maybe they unless they molt. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't need it for cobalt because she's already their queen. That's, That's true. Right. Uh, yeah, there you go. Here's a rust skin. Now you're a rust monster. Teddy uh, rust skin. <laughs> Teddy rust skin. Oh. <laughs> oh. 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 We have been schooled. Oh, <laughs> Jim? Anything stand out for you as magic item? Um, well, naturally, I went straight to the section for the, the equivalent of artifacts, the magic items that are maybe mythologically devices of the ancients. And uh, I really like that, uh, I'm going to say Jutan spear, but that's not right. Oh, the Jotun spear? There you go. Oh, Jotan, like Jesus. Yeah, but the, the Norse word for giants, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Prof. Um because it was just really well thought out thing that I'm sure has been in some, but it's somewhere, somewhere, and I just never saw it. But uh, it's a spear that uh, every successful strike lowers the opponent's armor class by one. And the myth behind the spear is just a few months ago in the campaign world, somebody took down a keep with it. Which, if you think about it, if you you know how many strikes would that take? Ten, twenty, and down comes the wall. That's a pretty cool magic item. How many strikes does it take to get to the center of a keep? That's right. <laughs> but that's a nice I mean that's a nice power it, I it's just it's fresh to me. Yeah. And conversely, you know, it's it's something that players can use. One of the things I always hated about the especially the 1E artifacts is quite frankly they're so powerful. You you really don't want to bring them into your campaign unless your characters are fairly high level because they can be really unbalancing. Most of his quote unquote artifacts where either his powers are limit, the powers are limited, or they're just only useful in certain situations. So that you know, you could plausibly give this to a low to minimum level character, you know, meet middle and level party. Um, for instance, the knocking down keeps that sounds great till you start using it in a dungeon. <laughs> Right. I mean, it's, then it's suddenly not quite so cool, you know. Like, that was a supporting wall. Uh, <laughs> and what you're saying are really cool artifacts that aren't campaign breakers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, you put it a lot simpler than I did, but then you know that's probably better than you know having the professor go off. My favorite magic items were the song stones, because the song stones. 
Those were cool. They were cool, and it's like having MTV videos, you know, just right there, which is a lot cooler. Since, And for those of you, you know, younger than 30, there was a time MTV played music. And, and videos. Music. And, and videos. videos, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's it. true. True story. <laughs> and there, for those of you that are t- still young, there was once a thing called video. <laughs> Videotape. <laughs> Videotape? VCR. But those, uh, those elf stones were like, uh, Sith holocrons. They were awesome. I mean, they, yeah. and it doesn't help you kill a monster at all, but it's still way cool. Yeah. So. It's, a, it's a planter. Ah. Ah. Anything jump out at you, Glenn? God map. Yeah. <laughs> Magical GPS. The fan, fantasy GPS. I love it. Although 3D only, GPS, yeah. Well, there's only like three of them in the world. <laughs> Did you just make three a, of them known. Mike, hang on. Did you just make a Tennessee tuxedo reference? 3D Not BB. intentionally. Who's Tennessee 3D. tuxedo? 3D BB? Oh. Yeah. I'm sorry. Glenn's got my back. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> the, the professor in that cartoon had a three-dimensional blackboard called, called the 3D BB. Ah. Three-dimensional, okay. three-dimensional blackboard. Professor Whoopi. Not a clue. Sorry. All right, voiced, by Larry, voiced by Larry Storch. Anyway, go ahead. On that awkward tangent. God map. Yes, God map is so cool. And they said there's a, there's forgotten command words which could like – well, you can zoom in already, but it like show structures and living people actually moving down there. Kind of like, you know, kind of like Princess Leia. Help me, Obi-Wan. You're the only help. Type of thing. <laughs> or something like that. But that is a cool, cool, that could be a game right there. That could be a campaign right there. Yeah. And his suggest, you know, rumors say that there are maps that do this or that, which again lets the DM you know, do I want to let that happen in my campaign? Well, no, so I don't have to. I got plausible deniability whenever the player goes, but I have a copy of Chronicles, and it says here on page 72 that da 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 Well, I love it when we were talking about this stuff off air. Uh, I'm like, well, I would just never give my players something that powerful. And Liz's retort was, well, I just have it show them the wrong stuff. Yeah, or they yeah. don't understand what it's showing them. Yeah, I just think of that Black Adder episode. I think it was in um, Black Adder Goes Forth when Baldrick's trying to read this map. It's like, oh, look, it's mushrooms. (laughs) This is a military map. It's not going to show the local flora. Like, (laughs) what says mine? Oh, they must belong to the person who drew the map. (laughs) And it's, and it's, uh, and it updates itself every year. Like a good GPS. <laughs> I will put, I will put it in my game would be the quest for the god map made by the Thomas brothers. Yeah. On the other oh, hand, if you're Thomas. if you're wanting your players to go to certain locations without having you know the tedium of them getting lost, having to hire guides or something, that could right. be useful. Well, Liz, I think ben- me. I don't know what I was thinking. But, uh, you give the players this, and then everybody chases them for it because they want it to done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is there a way we can make a mundane version of this? Because it would be really cool because I've got I've got a, a business in my fantasy worlds called uh AccuQuest, which is basically a temp agency for adventurers. And they tend to okay, there's trouble over here and they will teleport you to where 
they need to do the job and they could give them like a limited form of this is okay he's right there just follow the map mm-hmm. type of thing yeah one of vince's skype games he had kind of a, a crystal ball that did that okay um that when the item we were looking for you know you just kind of point it in the direction and it would start glowing you know the more it glue, glowed the more it glued <laughs> the more the more it glo- you know the, the brighter the glow the closer we were to the item so that can work too or we could just get jack sparrow's compass i guess yeah. <laughs> or liz remember that ep- the man uh, the obligatory doctor who reference remember the episode of doctor who where they were in the victorian world or the Victorian era, and that little boy, so Thomas. Uh, Thomas, yes, yes. right. right. You precise directions to where you need to go. <laughs> What's your name, lad? Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> okay, Mike. Mike's got to do the Strax voice. Oh no, I can't do it right now. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll save it for next time. <laughs> Christmas anyway. episode. We can all sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer as Strax. <laughs> Give him a distinct tactical advantage. He knows. <laughs> but anyway, that's my choice. God map. Love okay, it. cool. All right. Um, crap. There was something else I was going to mention. Speaking crap. of yeah, unique things, another thing I liked about uh, what he provides in here is some unique fl- f- uh, flora. Oh, yeah, the uh-huh. different plants with the... Yeah, especially that horrible one that... It poison something. I cannot remember the name of it, but anyway, it's it looks a lot like another herb that is very useful if you have it if you rub it on yourself. Uh-huh. But this is like super poison ivy. Ooh. So if you mistake it, Frodo, <laughs> like, stick this in your mouth. Oops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, the good news is Morgor blade wound is the least of your worries now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I like that. And uh, the monsters, some of the monsters were good, but we'll talk about that in Random Encounters. Okay. And as far as actual uh, modifications, let's talk about that in DM's Workshop. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. But this isn't science. It's more like black magic. Better. Stronger. Faster. Oh, yeah. It's all coming together. Welcome to the Dungeon Master's Workshop. Okay, DM's Workshop. How would you modify this to play it yourself? Or would you play it directly out of the box, as it were? You could play it out of the box. There really isn't much you have to do to it. Oh, have to? No, but would you? Oh, Okay. Well, would you? I liked where he, to continue the uh, flora reference, I like how he did some of those. I thought the bloody thorns were kind of rough on clerics, but <laughs> if you're going to take one to four hit points damage a day, I think you ought to get more than a plus one on your turn. That's true. But uh, but it does play off of a similar uh, – I in my campaign world, I have something called blood root, which if you chew – uh, as a fighter, you can get plus one to hit and plus one to damage for the next hour. Huh. But the problem is you can overdose, and then you just become a mindless berserker. And then whenever you roll up the berserker encounters in dungeons or, or wildernesses, that's my role-playing rationale. You know, Why do crazy fighters just wander around looking for people to fight? 
Well, because they use too much blood root. That's what this this is why we don't give the wizards blood root. Yeah. <laughs> Arr. Arr, I'm gonna cast friends on you. <laughs> and push. Tensor floating disc. <laughs> yeah. Especially low level wizards. But but anyway. Any other ideas? Len would pretty much run it out of the box. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, there's. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I want to recognize up front that it's different strokes for different folks. Not everybody wants the same game or the same things to run their game. So many people, you know, would like to purchase a campaign world and use it. And uh, to those people, this gets my full and unabashed endorsement. I wouldn't run it myself because that's just not the style of uh, DM I am. I, I want to create my own world. I would happily mine this thing, rape and pillage it for and plunder it for all the good stuff in it. On the other hand, if uh, I was at a convention or, or or was doing a one-off and somebody said, look, the modules that are based in this campaign setting, here, go run this, I would happily run this uh, campaign yeah, setting. And it's, and it's a good value, too. Oh, yeah, for five bucks. Mm-hmm. I, mean, yeah. I mean, I liked it enough to buy it, so. So there you go. But, yeah, I remember you were saying earlier you really liked the vagueness of the ancients as something you would probably keep, right? Yeah, it just appeals to my personal sensibilities because uh, I like campaign settings that are uh, mysterious. And, I mean, uh, verbatim, the same phrase is used in this campaign setting that's used in Dungeon Call Classics. Magic is wild, dangerous, and mysterious. And I'm like, okay, ding, that's 10 out of 10 for me. Mm Mm-hmm. And once again, we find another campaign setting where you can use the wild magic table out of 2E. Yeah, with your latents. Yeah. Yeah, that's that I wouldn't do. I, I've never been a fan of wild magic myself. Um, one thing I did like, go about the ancients is how vague it is. That, you know, well, do the ancients, are they, are we looking at technology? You know, an ancient technological civilization? Is it just an ancient civilization with a different kind of magic? I mean, Again, it's, it's big not question the, mark. It's not the same as Ralph Bakshi's Wizards movie, but it's it's of that ilk where it was this an atomic war in the past or was that lost Lemuria that fell? You don't know. Yeah, and you can make it what you want because of it. it, it everything's so vague. Especially like those... Uh, Bear machines, but we'll get to that in random encounters. What would you change, Liz, if anything? Well, I'd probably, I'd probably want to run it with more of a Holmesian system. And I personally don't think it would be that hard to convert from Labyrinth Lord to Holmes. Um, I mean, Not as long on. as, oh, as long as you know, as long as you know your system that you're converting to pretty well, then you can make the encounters and the ideas here, you know, fit that same level range in the system you're converting to pretty easily. Um, that's my opinion anyway. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd do it to Holmes. Um, I might change some of the, uh, some of the monsters, I'd probably, you know, add in some that aren't listed, maybe take away some that are. Um, the monster that I'm going to talk about in Random Encounters, instead of making them evil or chaotic, I would probably just make them neutral. Um, that's something I would change. 
So I might change some of the alignments of the various monsters to, you know, depending on what I want, you know, their, you know, why they do what they do, you know, are they evil? Do they just want to be left alone? What? Uh So, yeah, um, I think it would be easy to, to tweak and most of the stuff that I would change would be, you know, minor little things like that. I probably would not change anything major. I'd keep the timeline, and because of the vagarities of, you know, why these things have occurred, you can still make this your own while keeping the structure that's been laid down for you. Yeah, and playing off that, from what you said, not only can you you know, make it your own setting. Uh, only the monster and magic items really has a lot of detailed rules. Most of this you could probably use with just about any fantasy RPG. Well, this kind of uh-huh. dovetails into something I want to talk about. May I have special permission to go off on a tangent? Oh, Please. sure. And mention another uh, technically retro classic D&D game. Um, the, one of the uh, more legitimate critiques of the Dungeon Call Classics uh, rulebook is that the clerics are given very spare uh, deities to worship. I mean, you get you get one page of a list with a few qualities and names, and that's it. And and naturally, players who are running the system want a, a you know a whole deities and demigods thing because we've gone through generations of that came as a component of your game. The uh, section on the pantheons in this game not only is excellent, and you could drop it into any game you wanted it's 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 thoughtful and well constructed but uh the author obviously is as big a joseph campbell fan as i am because you can look at the way he did that and either use it or easily set up your own pantheon it's kind of back to what i was saying mm-hmm. where i'd rather do it myself than than use somebody else's stuff i mean because if you if you're you know, know anything about mythology, it's easy. You've got 12 gods, there's a mother god, a father god, their kids, a couple of uncles, then some demigods, and then some animal things underneath it. I could set you up a pantheon and, 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 and yeah. as you go. And, and intermarry and bickering, and there yeah. you go. <laughs> and, 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 and those present gods are descended from a couple of generations of prior gods that become gradually more and more abstract. I mean, anybody could do it. Here's a guide for you. You buy this book and just look at how he did it, and you can use his or use it as a guide to make your own. So this is, kind, I, of a, this is kind of a toolkit for, for pantheons. I think it's a Deities and Demigods 101 workshop right in this book. What I liked about the pantheons was, and this is something that is a historical slash mythological thing, is that you have a certain set of core deities that are called different things by different cultures. Just like real life. Yeah, that's what I mean. And rather than, you know, the deities and demigods where, you know, you're on a fantasy world with 800 gods, you know. <laughs> yeah. They're like, no, you've got maybe 12 to 15, but they're called different things. And they may be over the same general areas, but they've got different personalities or symbols based on their culture. Right. And, he and that's, there, I like I that. Yeah. He puts it in there like that because it's like it'll say under there. Here's the the general name uh, Valdor on this area of the country. He's known as Bozo, you know, and, and Shemp over here. Yeah, Shemp. <laughs> but but there's a there's a supreme sky god father figure, and you, this continent calls him this, and the other continent calls exactly. that. Right, uh-huh. and I like that. I also um, liked that 
the people in this setting will pray to just about any of the gods, depending on what it is that they want to have happen. And that's, Which is very polytheistic. Yeah, it's like, you know, sure. I'm, I'm only going to pray to this god no matter what it has to do or not do with what's happening in my life. And that's what they used to do anyway. Yeah, you know. Yeah. The, I mean, the Romans, the Greeks, you know, they'd have little shrines to different gods, would, you know, because you want to cover your bases. <laughs> they would even pray to arguably evil deities, not because they're worshipping them per se, as they're trying to buy them off. Yeah, please, please leave, leave me support. alone. Yeah. yeah. Dear Thor, please bless my crops. Okay, kaboom! <laughs> not <laughs> like that! <laughs> I mean, I dare I say it, it's very Christian that way because Christians have, especially Catholics, have saints yeah. where they pray, pray to this saint to have a safe journey and this and the Virgin Mary and this one to have a, you know, a good supper and this one to have a good whatever and, you know. Saint. Right. And, and they're, the, the saint is the intercessor, in, in, interlocutor for the, yes. for quote unquote God. So yeah, no, I really liked how, and the beauty of that is because there are various areas that are very vaguely written out or not at all, if somebody comes up and says, well, I really want to worship Aphrodite as my character. Well, she doesn't exist here. But I'll say that that was your village's on this island's term for Jezel, you know? Yeah. <laughs> very close to Jezebel, which – Actually, kind of is very accurate for that character, for that deity. But anyway, so yeah, no, I, he handled it really well. I, I I think that's one of the better pantheon developments for a campaign world I've seen. I mean, that's worth five bucks right there. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, sir. We should have we should have this guy on. He keeps submitting things. One of these times, we're just going to have to have him on the show so we can ask him some questions about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm dying to ask him a few things. I apologize. Yeah. I'm not familiar with Peter Spahn. I, I just, I'm not familiar with the name prior to this, and now I want to, I want to know this guy. Yeah. Well, before you came on, we've we've covered a couple of his adventure modules in the past. Yeah, Blood um, Moon Rising, End of Lost Heroes, and Pyramid of the Dragon come yeah. to mind. We saw one to go. But, uh, yeah, Peter, if you're listening, hey. Yeah. I mean, he also sent us the Ghoul Keep and the Ghoul Lands, which we'll yeah. be covering sometime in the future. We're not going to yeah. – so <laughs> we want to cover other things and not be the small niche game show as much as we like this stuff. Yeah, and if, you, and if you're in North Texas, hey, look, at, look us up. Love to play with you. Okay, I forgot I was living in the 21st century. I just sent him a Facebook friend request. <laughs> well, there you go. A mash note from Jim Wampler. Wow. <laughs> On a side note, Liz, <laughs> Liz, by accident, ran into Mothshade. Really? Well, he, <laughs> he, he recognized me before I did him, and he was saying, you know, I must be half asleep because, you know, we were – speaking real time in a Facebook thread and I said, I must be half asleep because it's taken me 10 minutes to realize that Elizabeth Stewart is DM Liz from Save or Die and DM <laughs> Mothshade here and it's like, oh, Moth! And, 
Don't feel bad, Liz. I met Mike Curtis uh, because some guy I didn't know walked up and said if I was going into town at Gary Con, would I get him a carton of smokes? And then didn't remember who he was until like six <laughs> months later. He's like, hi, I'm Michael Curtis. I'm that guy you got smokes for. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, it took me a while to recognize Michael Curtis from North Texas. I did Not until I got on Facebook, I started looking at the picture again and stopped calling him Shemp. But uh, anyway. Especially if he's DM, DMing you, you don't want to call him Shemp. No, 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 no. You're, you're yeah. going to keep on till Glenn, you end up into one of his adventures as the monster. Oh, boy. Dun, dun, dun. What, the monster won't shut up? I don't know. The hill giant from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> oh, that's disgusting, Mike. That is the hillbilly giant from the Black Lagoon. There oh, it is okay, before we go to random encounters, any last thoughts on the campaign as setting? Buy it! No, not really. <laughs> I can't really say any more without sounding like the guy wrote me a check. I love it. <laughs> All right, well, let's head over to Random Encounters and talk about our favorite monsters. We take what we want and leave the rest. Just like your salad bar. Nothing up must leave. Presto! You will come out no more. What? Huh? What will come out no more? Random Encounters. Random Encounters. Hey. Hey. He provides several pages of new monsters. Some are simply variants on the standard ones, the rucks for orcs, the ogren, something like that for ogres, uh, mostly just a name change. But he it's, does provide several brand new monsters. But it's funny that, that the, the rucks stand in for both most of the goblinoids. That's true, both orcs and goblins and hobgoblins, yeah. so they're all purpose. That's kind of a Tolkien-esque thing, because goblins and orcs sort of flow back and forth in Tolkien. Yeah. Yeah, especially between Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Yeah. No kobolds, Liz. Mm. He does not change kobolds. But we all each chose a monster that stood out to us, and we'll start with Liz. Oh. All right. Well, the one I chose is the... Batrachian, is that how you would pronounce that? Otherwise known as the Froggle, which is a lot easier for me to say. <laughs> I think you nailed yeah, it both times. That is something else in this. It's not 100%, but he gives uh, pronunciation guides on a lot of names. Yeah, for a lot of the gods and the kingdoms and the stuff. Kingdoms and it's stuff like, which is helpful, too. Yes. yes, cool beans. So you don't have the dro-drow arguments. But anyway. So, yeah, um, I chose the Froggles, which are as... You know, just looking at them, you know, seem to be his version of, say, the Bullywug. They're frog people, um, as you might have guessed. But I particularly like them partially because they're called froggles, which I just think is the best thing ever. And there really needs to be a module called Down at Froggle Rock. <laughs> it must happen. <laughs> I, I, I might write it. I, think <laughs> I heard that, Peter. <laughs> I think we should make a video game called Froggle. He goes across the road to keep the carts from running over. And one of the war machines. Roll, you know. <laughs> yeah, and like I said earlier about things I would change, if I was using this setting, I would make the Froggles neutral rather than chaotic. 
Um, I just think they're a really cool race and you could use them for a lot of stuff. Um, they've got a, a hop attack that you, they can do, um, Hopping counts as a charge. When they do hop and attack with their spear, they get an additional plus one bonus to hit. If they succeed, the attack does double damage. You know, they can, they can do some pretty cool stuff. Um, and they have camouflage capabilities. And because they're able to remain perfectly still for a long period of time, uh-huh. they can get surprise on you half the time. Um, so lots of neat stuff and, you know, have the giant frogs as their pets, attack dogs, whatever. Um, so, yeah. Um, so I kind of think of Bullywoogs. I think a little bit of Lizardmen, too, with their tribal um, setup and the weapons that they use. Um, I think they're a good all-purpose monster you could put all over the place and, you know, have them do all kinds of things. And if you make them neutral, then that gives them even more versatility. I like how they sort of have the troglodyte ability when they stand still to kind of fade in mm-hmm. to the surroundings. That was going to be my choice, uh, but Liz got to it before I did. So <laughs> I begged and pleaded. <laughs> no, don't, don't lie. You pulled rank. <laughs> I, I did kind of. Yeah, yeah, she did. It's hold, true. Hold the wife rank, yes. Uh, if he'd no said, more banana bread if I didn't give her the froggles. So, well, if he had said no, I would have gone to the Cathla, the, which are catfish people. <laughs> <laughs> they are just about as cool. <laughs> I'm sorry, and I they haven't... are neutral. I wouldn't have to change a thing on them. I didn't hear anything after banana bread. <laughs> <laughs> catfish banana bread. <laughs> like that sign on the way to Tyler, catfish ice cream? Catfish ice cream, yes. <laughs> we assume it's advertising two different things, but... But one never knows. We never stop there to find out. So, Jim, what's your critter? Well, you know, running a Game World campaign, probably no big surprise. I uh, centered right in on the War Mention, which uh, is a... Uh, transposed, uh, garbled-up version, I assume, of War Machine. Uh, they're described as terrible living golems powered by magic and science of the ancients. They're rare, but are more being unearthed by adventurers as they continue to plunder lost ruins. And I really like the uh, example one they gave that was basically a Godzilla-sized version of the, the device of Qualish. It's just a giant metallic lobster thing that rolls out of the ocean every once in a while and wipes your village off the god map. And and this is and this is is this the, causing it these, to have to be updated the following year. Yeah. <laughs> each of these are unique, right? Uh, that's the way it's written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them was written. It's basically a tank, which made mm-hmm. me think of the bolos from the old uh, the bolo novels from the sixties and seventies, which is kind of cool. Uh, another one sounded like that thing from Labyrinth. Oh, oh yeah, the cleaners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the one cleaners. in the sewer? Yeah. Well, that's what I thought of. It's the cleaners, right? I always wanted to put that in a dungeon. I always wanted to put that in a dungeon. Well, it's got stats for it. Cool. And so, what's your choice, Glenn? Oh, the ultimate, the ultimate danger for a party. The gelatinous man. 
They are evolved race of intelligent gelatinous cubes that have taken on humanoid form. They can go into a cube, but they can assume human shape. Um, I, I bet don't, they could charge into a room. So, <laughs> oh, so, yeah. So they consume human shapes, then assume human shapes. Uh-huh. Um, they're basically <laughs> they got all the strengths and weakness of a gelatinous cube, but they're smart. I yeah. Mean, they talk about they're heated and feared. They've developed a special hatred towards humans and non-humans, especially elves. I mean, they go out in civilized society wrapped up in, like, bandages and stuff. That is so you know? cool. Yeah. yeah. yeah especially I'll, a female-looking one, maybe with veils and stuff. You just oh, – that Arabic <laughs> setting, you know, in a full burqa or hijab and just, oh, yeah, that's just normal. Ah! They, they said so, – they, they hit him so much, sometimes they rent themselves out as bodyguard spies and assassins. My God. Mike, yeah. I think I, – Mike and Liz, I think Mead in your uh, AD&D campaign needs to meet one of these. Yes. Oh, Yeah. I, can't, I have this vintage of, of a gelatinous man wrapped up in robes on a gelatinous horse as like a ring wraith. That was something in the appendix I forgot to mention, but really? they give the option for monks and assassins yeah. from the Advanced Edition Companion. And one of the things I liked is the, the assassins were a group called The Hand. <laughs> <laughs> for you Marvel fans out there. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was cool. I want but, the foot. Be it, be, be it noted, email writers, someone on Save or Die said they liked monks and assassins. Wow. Um, but I liked that if you're going to have assassins to make it the hand. That's right. But, but the, it is cool to have like an assassin gelatinous man working for you. Yeah. Or a bodyguard would be better. Somebody's trying to get at you and they, they're, they're not wearing any clothes and they don't see them. You son of a... Quick, he's armed. Grab him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would kind of suck. But I would make them talk. I wonder if you could put food coloring inside. (laughs) If you need to give them a color or something, you know, like black, maybe have them, you know, night versions or something. Anyway. Yeah, it doesn't say anything about them talking or not, but I have my Second time you encounter them. Second time. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you can throw the jello on them later. How about you, Mike? I it was tough. They had several good ones, but I finally ended up with the Vodast because oh. it it struck me as a nice play on the doppelganger, sort of. Uh. It it the creature looks like a helmet, <laughs> and <laughs> and if you if you use magic, it detects as a magical helmet. Of course, it does. And of course, yeah, your player, oh, I'm going to put it on. <laughs> and once it does, it sticks a proboscis or spike into your brain and then basically controls the body but still has access to memories and stuff. So in a way, it's even worse than a doppelganger because not only does it look like it can answer all the questions just like the character, and it takes evil delight in running the guy's or gal's personal lives, you know, driving off friends, loved ones, and, you know, all this other stuff. You can recover them, but it's tough. And first, you got to figure out what's going on. And the thing can kill its host, you know, and if you're trying to. It also reminded me of the Peepers from Babylon 5. 
Oh, yeah. Except, you know, uh, they weren't a a helmet, but it was kind of the same concept. You can get them drunk and stuff. I'm I'm assuming assuming that if it was on, like, a magic user, it would also be able to use the spells. Spells and stuff? Yeah. It doesn't say. Um, I would would imagine a magic user, or at least a pure magic user, wouldn't try to put on a helmet. Yeah, because they can't put armor. Yeah, but an elf might. But knowing Mike, he could probably change it into like a a a, 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 vo, a vodast hat, or <laughs> a skull cap, or it's a magical a, pointy hat. Pointy hat, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could do that. So that's my choice. That is pretty awesome sauce. I mean, oh look what I found, and then you're in a Ridley Scott movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was my runner-up. Was the one? It was the. The ethereal hag. I forgot her actual name, but she specifically goes after spoiled children and unfaithful husbands. Oh yeah, oh, that was my runner-up, and and the whole egg sack <laughs> plantation during dinner is like, whoa, that's rough. Hmm. Now that's Eat a up. Scott movie. <laughs> <Eat> up. <laughs> Which again, I guess, plays into the kind of dark aspect. That the chronicles of, of the world that it's in, you know, it's it's evil is real and powerful in this world, and yeah. you really got to watch yourself. But it's not too evil. It gives you chances to to avoid this stuff. Just pay attention. Oh yeah, I mean, it's not yeah yeah white wolfian kind of you know a world of darkness kind of right. everything's hopeless kind of thing. No, but it's yeah the forces of light aren't always winning. That's for sure. Okay, well, now let's go to products of your imagination. Your dungeon master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. Where are the Cheetos? They're right next to you. Well, all you do is we play the characters we talked about earlier when we run around and stuff. I want to show you a trick Mother showed me when you weren't around. Use your lightning bolt. Victory is yours. I'm attacking the darkness. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons games. Products of your imagination. You're not there. You're getting drunk. Poe. Poe to you too. Poe. Wait, 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 what are we doing? What'd you call me? Products of your imagination. Poe. Oh. Oh, okay, I'm um, hip. Yeah, let, let's not do that again. <laughs> hey, nobody calls me a Poe and lives... It does sound like some like obscure holiday greeting, though, doesn't it? And poyi to you. I'm just a boy. No. This is where poyi navidad. The other three of you get to really pound on things because this is where we're talking about it as a product, art, layout, formatting, fonts, all that good stuff. Liz, shall I tell him? Tell him what? There's no table of contents. <laughs> yeah, I I thought that I my me. scanner had or my convert word OCR software had screwed up when I first did that, and I had emailed Glenn or pinged him on Skype, going, "Did I just get a bad copy, or was there no table of contents?" There's a good index. Oh, an excellent index, but which is weird because normally it. Products have a table of contents, but no index. I know. I thought I was watching. I was reading a hero game supplement or something. Yeah. Uh, so it was kind of weird that way. Yeah. Thought we'd shake it up a bit. Well, he certainly did that. <laughs> Liz, what's what about the art? What do you think? There's some good art in here. Um, 
not not just the maps, but incidental art um, here and there, and there's not too much of it, so you don't get the impression that you're paying for a bunch of art and not a lot of substance. Um, Was it? Pub- I think I think the text to art ratio is very good. You're getting a lot of meat here. Was it public domain art, or was this a specific artist? No, no. They had specific artists. Mr. Tony Mullins and Jonathan Bingham. Okay. And they're both excellent. Maps maps by Tony Mullins. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you've got some some good stuff here. Um, Your your text is pretty standard, um, sans-serif font. He doesn't get too fancy, and it's nothing... That would be difficult for a screen reader to read. Um, yeah. OCR software should have like no bland. trouble with any of it. Yeah, I like the bland fonts. <laughs> you hear that, Trollor Games? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, keeps it very, you know, very. Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, you, yeah, it's very clean. It's not Ex- too cluttered. Accessible. Um, yeah, it's clean, it's accessible. You've got some nice knot work at the bottom and top of the pages, but nothing that, you know, takes away from reading the text. You know, it it doesn't fight with your text. It's, no. you know, it's a very very good size and, you know, it just it enhances rather than takes over. So, I think they did a really good job with this. I have one art gripe. Hmm. Why not a color cover? Oh, you took my gripe. Oh, sorry. You I mean, you know, <laughs> this big is, gripe stealer. I'm sorry, but I I think it should have had a color cover because this, to me, is as far as our products go. This is a main contender. This is the book. You know, if you're yeah, going to work, surprised. He's, I, I, I think he's done color can, covers for other stuff. He has, but this is black and white. Yeah, huh. I will say this particular cover on the PDF that you know we're using. Uh-huh. It, it does rather have the look of a generic product. You know, say you go to, you know, you go to the grocery store and you've got the generic versions of various stuff, you know, in cans and boxes. And it's just that very, you know, very plain looking. It's not intentional. I gear, I mean, I'm, it, in the, I'm in the business. I guarantee you there just wasn't a budget for, on this project mm-hmm. for an actual well, cover I'm, because that's well, just, it a, is, it's like a placeholder cover, you yeah. know? Yeah, I'm, what I'm saying is, yeah, it's generic, but it's very good generic. It's an yeah. excellent piece, but if they put a color in there, that would really pop. You know, going, okay, this is a major release. Yeah, you know, I, that's what it seems to me. May I be allowed to continue? I think so. Okay, I mean, <laughs> a color cover is five or six hundred bucks. If you don't have five or six hundred bucks to commission an artist to paint your cover, then it's domain art or what they did, which is a reproduction of one of the map arts that's already in the book. Yeah, but I guarantee it, you that's what this is. I I, I, I understand that five or six hundred bucks, but all their other stuff is in color. All their covers are in color except this one, which which to me would make it kind of stand out if you had a pile of small niche games products. You know. Okay. Okay. Point taken. No, no, I'm 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 agreeing with you, Glenn. Oh, okay. I'm saying you know it it you know it it would look worse by comparison. To right. all these other color, you know, you got modules with all these color covers, but you've got a campaign supplement book with black and white. Seems kind of weird. Right. And the only other things that are black and white with the covers are they, they're putting out um, Brave the Labyrinth, which is their new uh, 
magazine. They've got two issues. Those are have black and white covers, but I can understand that. It's a magazine. Right. Yeah, and I was going to mention that. Thanks for bringing that up. I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm just. I'm just a big mouth today. Sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring it up in a. No, that's fine. I, I had totally forgotten to bring that up, and it is important uh-huh. that they do do a Labyrinth Lord uh, magazine. You know, online magazine. Free. Oh, it's free. Okay. Well, well, actually, it's pay what you want. So donation. Yes, that's pretty donation. cool. It's called Braid the Labyrinth. Hmm. I have not uh, actually read it at this time, but uh, you know, if it's anything like the rest of his products, it ought to be a good read. It and is. You can't I beat heard. that price. Yeah, yeah, two issues are out now, and they've got really good articles, mostly by him. No. Yeah. I think that's more of like you know the. The thing that new magazines always go through, it's like, okay, the editor's writing most of the stuff because we're waiting for people to contribute and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, fanzine, yeah, standard. you got to wait yeah. for people to start reading and submitting stuff. So i got to fill this thing, yeah. Yeah. Thing. From the slush pile. Okay, so, fonts. what about layout? Uh, layout's spectacular. I mean, it's exactly what Liz said. It's nice, sharp, crisp, easy to read, easily acceptable. Two-column. Two yeah, okay. two, two columns so, layout. The uh, the art is is pretty good, and uh, the uh, maps are just gorgeous. Yeah. Okay. They are. Uh, are the maps hexed out, or are they just you know quote unquote traditional drawn? They They're, are traditional drawn. Okay. Which yes. is how I like them, but that's just me. Yeah, pen and ink, beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Well, then let's talk about it. Uh, as far as dragons go, remember uh, the PDF is four ninety five. The you were saying twelve ninety five for the softback. Soft yep. Is they do that have a still through RPG now or drive through RPG or is that through Lulu or? Uh, it's uh, well since I just ordered the soft cover, I didn't see a hardback option. Uh, you can get water uh, PDF soft cover or both from RPG now, and it's twelve ninety five. And because I think. When I went through the checkout process, I had different options. I took the cheapest shipping, so they are going. It's print on demand. I don't know if they. But RPG are. Now is the one do, actually doing the printing and publishing, and it would yeah. appear so. Okay. Well, that that the, I talked about that weird adventures earlier in the show. Uh, I got that through RPG Now, and that was print on demand. And I just went standard shipping. They said like three weeks, and I got it within the like next week. So they're pretty fast on that. I'd be happy okay. to report back after it shows up on a subsequent show what it looks like. Okay. Okay. You can do a, a an addendum. Yeah, it'd be very on. interesting to find out, you know, once you get the soft cover, you know, maybe the soft cover actually does have a color cover and we just don't know. Well, see, okay. that's what I thought at first, but I mean, the if there was color cover to be had, it doesn't cost you anything to put it into the PDF print-wise, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, well, that's true. Right. It's just whether or not you can pay to commission it. Yeah. Right. I just – they could have. That's all I'm saying. They, That's why all publishers out there marry an artist. <laughs> <laughs> and, hey, you heard that. Single artist right here. <laughs> We're just saying. Oh, yeah. Okay. We'll start with dragons then, Glenn. Um, okay. I mentioned no table of contents, right? Mm-hmm. And I mentioned – Black and white cover. Okay, guess what? I'm not taking that as strikes against it. Five dragons. Really? Wow. Despite that, because it's got a really good index in the back. I mean, I'm an old Champions Hero Games uh, person. When what third or four, fourth edition hardcover came out, the blue book that mm-hmm. didn't have a 
table of contents either, but they had a really good index. They got smart later in the second printing and added a table of contents, but I made it work, and you can make this work, and it really doesn't detract of how awesome this thing is. Okay. So you see, if it had had a table of contents and a color cover, Glenn would have given it six dragons. If Mike would have let me. Yeah, well. (laughs) Five dragons and that one. (laughs) Jim? Five dragons and here's your change. Pow. Um, (laughs) Hey, if if it got five dragons out of the grumpy grognard, I'm not going to argue five dragons. Wow. This one's rocking. Even though he, even though Glenn took your grump. That's okay. We share. Okay. Liz? Okay. I'm going to take off for not having a table of contents. <laughs> I will not take off for lack of a color cover. It would have been nice, but I'm more interested in content than I am with the packaging. Um, that being said, as a graphic artist, I do realize that good packaging is, you know, vital for sales and stuff. So I don't knock it, but when it comes to gaming products, I'd much rather have substance than yeah, – I'd rather have steak, not sizzle. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I will take off a little for there not being a table of contents in the front. I mean, once you know that there is an index in the back, you know, you can deal with that, but – I'd rather have the table of contents with everything laid out from, you know, page one through the end rather than looking up alphabetically in the back for what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, So I am only going to give it four and a half dragons because of the lack of the table of contents. Okay. But everything else is solid stuff. I would happily play in or run something in this setting. And I think it's a good deal to get. If you don't already own it, you should get it. Okay. Michael? Well, again, let me reiterate, I don't generally like reading other people's campaign worlds. So, you know, I'm coming at it as kind of an uber grog. If I had to run somebody else's campaign world, I'd be fairly happy running this one more mostly as presented um hmm. i would i would rank it up there with the folio greyhawk or the judges guild wilderlands which seems kind of contradictory in that i claim you know i don't like a campaign that gives you too much crunch mm-hmm. but wilderlands gives you the crunch in the hex encounters and tables it doesn't give you the crunch really in gobs of detail about its cultures and such you're right that's different crunch yeah so and i really didn't like the fact that there was no table of contents because you know again once you know the book and it's not huge like glenn said it's only 76 pages but if I want to go right to the magic items or right to the monsters until I'm familiar with the book, I can't do that unless I flip and flip and flip and find it. It really could, could, that would really improve it. Um, I'm going to give it three and a half. That's well, three is average. And normally I would say four, but that table of contents really kind of hurts it. 
Oh, I thought it was going to be five knocked down to four. Oh, well. But you're a grump. But they say I'm yeah, but the, yeah, like I said, I'm grumpy about Campaign World, so everybody keep that in mind. You know, it's so like it's a, automatic one dragon gone right there. Right. So so everybody keep that in mind. They say I'm the grumpy grognard on the show. Yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, you've come out the least grumpy of all. I, yeah, I come out smelling like a rose. Hey. Well, the, the whole thing was this idea, you know. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting a cookie for this. Yes. So that's uh, 4.5. Sounds good. That's a really good rating. Comes out to 18 yeah. divided by 4. If you're asking me to yeah. check your math, you're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> 24.5, yeah. Okay. So I, know, I, I noticed something else on here, Mike. Um, we've done their stuff before. Yeah. And um, – do you think it's gotten better or stayed the same or with this release? I mean. That's a tough one because in a way, campaign versus module is really apples and oranges. <clears throat> I, I agree with Greg Gillespie in that regard. It's very hard to compare the two okay. uh, because there are, different, there are different incentives that the writer is trying to get to in each. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think in a way, I think he's still keeping his high quality. It's just, I guess it would be like him putting out a huge book of, say, familiars. Okay. Now, for what that is, that would be great. Would I personally find much use for that? No, probably not. Right. Um, so, yeah, in that regard, yeah, I think Peter Spahn's still, still kicking it out. And I salute him for putting out all this product and a free magazine, or at least a donation magazine, I I envy that level of creativity. I wish I could do that. Well, we've, kinda, these- we've talked all around and about this, but I want to put a point on it. The best thing about this, in my opinion, is the not just the crafting, the well-craftedness of the way it's written, but how it's the perfect balance of what you need and not what you don't want. As you read through it, just I mean, not, I'm not talking about crunch or mechanics. I'm just talking about uh, prose wise. It's right. perfect. Note perfect. Right. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But then I, like I say, I I like vague. So in a way, you know, other people, if you're looking for crunch, you may want to reduce the dragon number. If you like, you know, very fleshed out campaign worlds, this right now may not be for you. I think. Didn't you say, Glenn, that he's already putting out some supplements specific on various areas? Yeah, he's working on Liz, As Liz said, he was working on He's already got the Ghoulands one out, which is a section right. of Amherst. Right. So, you know, if you like lots of crunch, give it another six months to a year. You may have all the crunch you want. Oh, yeah. So, all right. Well, that was the Chronicles of Amherst. Uh, Go get it. Go get it. It's only five bucks. Glenn, thank five you for bucks. putting this in front of me. Uh, well, I better put it behind you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't touch it. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> now I'm definitely not playing in that Judges Guild module with you. <laughs> <laughs> and on that tragic, awkward note, we head down the road once again. Jim, are you heading down the road with Chronicles of Amherst in front of or behind you? Uh, I'm heading to the beach with my Yotun spear because I'm going to take out that submersible war mansion. We'll see how many armor class points it really has. Ha-ha! And what about you, Glenn? 
Well, I just killed and skinned a gelatinous man. I'm going to put him on and wear him as armor walking down the road. Ew. Watch the burns. <laughs> Go ahead. Hit me with that big sword. <laughs> Liz? I am hopping down the road with my froggle friends. <laughs> <laughs> Avoiding the trucks. Down at Froggle Rock. <laughs> I'm sure Jim Henson would have approved. Worries for another day. <laughs> Let the music play. Down at Froggle Rock. Stepping As the Froggles slay. <laughs> stepping on doozers. Yep. I wonder what the doozers would be. Anyway. <laughs> well, I'm sneaking down the road away from the other three because I don't want them to see and covet this cool new magical helmet I found. <laughs> or is it, or is it, well, if it's a wizard's hat, you give it to Jim's care. Okay, okay. Yeah. Time time for a podcast double doppelganger check. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, we're all fine here now. Thank you. Careful, How are you? <laughs> all right, well, we're in the I Love the 80s, so we'll see you at 81. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Pre-arc. The Savor Die podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions, and the Savor Die theme is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. Promotional consideration for the Saber Die podcast was provided by absolutely no one. But if you want to send us free stuff, we're for sale. Glenn Halstrom's wardrobe was provided by Botany 500. Obligatory Doctor Who references were provided by Liz and Mike Stewart. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die. <laughs> <laughs>